Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. And we're back on the College Football Survivor Show. Doug and Shahan, and we're talking quarterback battles. One of my favorite things, Shahan, about college football, the constant turnover. You don't just lock in a guy. Huh, how boring must it have been to cover the Patriots for two decades? Ooh, Tom Brady, he's really good. Blurg. We want this. We want battles. So we are going to draft the six best spring quarterback battles in college football, Shahan. I was at the Combine all last week, but it's fine. We kind of didn't have anything that we wanted to do off the Combine, right? Yeah, not really. I will mention real quick, no wonder you're a columnist at Cleveland.com if you don't like consistent quarterback play because uh lord mm. knows you've been around the franchise with about as many names to come through as any place in the history of the world but uh no but to answer your question not a whole lot from the combine i mean stetson bennett maybe throws a pretty deep ball i i don't mm. think that we expected that uh and other than that i don't know bryce young is short we knew <laughs> that wasn't a question and uh darnell washington is like not human. I did you see that video of him doing the uh the blocking the sled? What the hell? <laughs> and it was it was good like the contrast to the other guys cuz he did it and it's like, "Oh, you're just supposed to be able to push the sled." And then everybody else was like, "No, you're not really supposed to be able to push the sled." And, and it's like Will Mallory and Michael Mayer who are both awesome players. And it was yeah. just like, "Oh, they're not the same like stratosphere of athletes and strength as as this guy. So, you know, always a lot of fun. Uh, I think, you know, I, I did, uh, you know, just to touch on it for one second. Are, are players just like permanently faster now? Like it feels like hmm. the amount of sub four fours is just ridiculous. Like I, I think guys are getting faster. I think guys are training better for this. I also think that specifically for the combine, maybe guys are trying to get down and wait to the point where uh, like that's the priority. They they do that at the detriment of other stuff sometimes too. But it feels like we have reached a critical mass of where like four, four is the new four five or something like that. It's kind of crazy how many guys are running sub four, four these days. If you're a skill guy, it feels like you have to run sub four, four. What are you doing? Right. But yeah, they train specifically for the event. I think they do drop weight for it. And in the end, it's about play speed, not field speed, you know, not 40 speed. But we all know that, but it's still fun. We have uh, we have also reached a point where every single kid in America who if you want to play a skill position and really if you don't, you have to run track like it is a prerequisite to play football now that you've run track. So maybe also guys just know better form and stuff from doing it through middle and high school. So yeah. something to watch, something that's completely irrelevant, uh, you know, turns out turns out Georgia players are very fast and very good mm. and very strong. Uh, who would have yeah. thought? All right, so but we didn't want to do that. So like that's all we have to say. Let's move on. To, we just said, yeah, yeah. We didn't want to do a four minute podcast. <laughs> yeah, let's do the stuff we do want to talk about, which is yes, the most interesting, intriguing, important quarterback battles in the spring. And I will tell you, Shahan, I looked at this. I looked at the twenty six teams on DraftKings that are a hundred to one or lower to win the national title. So it's the twenty six top teams in college football by that standard. 12 of those 26 have returning starters at quarterback. And by returning starter, I mean the guy who took the majority or a good chunk of their snaps a year ago. Six of those 26 
have what I call presumed starters at quarterback. Maybe it's a transfer. Maybe it's a young guy who is just clearly the guy. I put Cade Klubnick at Clemson in this category because you wouldn't be able to call him the returning starter because DJ took most of the snaps there last year. But everybody thinks Cade Klubnick is going to be the starter at Clemson. I put Drew Aller at Penn State in this category. I put Sam Hartman as a transfer to Notre Dame in this category. I put Tanner Mordecai as a transfer to Wisconsin in this category. I put Devin Leary as a transfer to Kentucky in this category. And I put Graham Mertz as a transfer to Florida in this category. Those were the six guys I have as presumed starters who were not the, the starters a year ago. The returning starters, let's just run through them quick. Why not? Just give a shout out to everybody. J.J. McCarthy at Michigan. Caleb Williams at USC. Jaden Daniels at LSU. Jordan Travis at Florida State. Quinn Ewers at Texas. And we'll put a pin in that for the moment. But he is there and he started last year. Bo Nix at Oregon. Michael Penix Jr. at Washington. Cam Rising at Utah. Connor Wegman at Texas A&M. He didn't actually take the most snaps of quarterback for them last year, but he was starting at the end of the year. Should we put a pin in that one too? Like, are you not, is that, uh, is, he's the guy, right? My question is, wow, Texas A&M is among the top 50 teams in the oh, country yeah. right now in national championship odds. So oh. If you are putting a, a bet on Texas A&M for national championship odds, I, I want you to go see a head specialist hmm. right now. No, oh, the betters love Jimbo. Very enticing, Jimbo is, to the betters. Uh, Dylan Gabriel at Oklahoma, Spencer Rattler at South Carolina, and Drake May at North Carolina. So those are the 12 returning starters. We went through the six presumed starters. So that to me, that's eight battles, and I was somewhat generous with battles. I'd say there's maybe three of the eight battles that maybe aren't actually battles also. The thing that's odd, and it, maybe it's not odd, Shahan, is – the three best programs in the country have quarterback battles, and then a bunch of the next tier do not. And I do sure. find it intriguing, and we're going to talk about those three best programs, best programs in quotation marks. We can argue about them. I, I don't think we can. I don't think we can argue about that. I always worry about the Michigan people. I mean, they did. They've won the Big Ten the last two years. They've beaten Ohio State. But that's not what this pod's about. That's not what this pod's about. That's not what this pod's about. But congratulations. I, you just look at – you look at – well, you can't give a sarcastic congratulations to a team that made the playoff both like, both of the last two years. That's a real but, congratulations. I, I guess uh, three of the top four then because, uh, you know, TCU has a battle too. Yeah. No, but TCU didn't make it both of the last two years. And TCU is more of a one-off than Mich- TCU's Michigan won the a playoff last two game. years. Okay. Now we're off track again. We're off track. We started <laughs> off with three minutes of what we're not talking about. Now we're off track again. So the eight battles, it is interesting to me that obviously we're talking about Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State. Real battles that we're going to get into. But then there's this whole class, Shahan, of Michigan, USC, LSU, Florida State, Oregon, Washington, Utah, teams like that that are good football teams with some very veteran quarterbacks coming back. And then as we spend this entire offseason analyzing the 2023 college football year, we're going to have to decide what does that mean? And I'm not sure anymore. I think there was a time when I really valued returning quarterbacks, and I think maybe I don't value them as much as I used to. I very much still do. Now, I will I will mention uh it's not that I just value uh, guys who started last year. So I guess, you know, the, the, that's returning quarterbacks. But 
I also value guys who have been in the program. I, I think that that's an important part of it. I don't want new guys coming in who have never played, have never started, are learning your system for the first time. I do make a distinction between that and like a Sam Hartman who was awesome and is coming in now. But if you haven't played college football before, I really want you to have at least been in the system for a year uh, to, to feel good about it. Because we look at the three guys who were in charge of those three major programs last year. Uh, and, and actually, even we can throw Caleb Williams, the Heisman winner, into that as well. All guys who had been there, right? Caleb Williams was at with Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, then moved to USC. CJ Stroud was a backup and redshirted his first year, then started two years for Ohio State and led them to, to really good seasons. Bryce Young was a, a, a first year player who didn't play very much for Alabama and then came in and won the Heisman Trophy and obviously made his case to be the number one draft pick last year. So, uh, and then certainly sets a Bennett at Georgia with multiple years with Todd Monken as well. So, I don't think it's necessarily as important as it has been to have actually started a year, but I think that it is still very important to at least have been in college and learned a system for a year. It is difficult because if, you know, we're doing this a year ago, Michigan, J.J. McCarthy sat, did not participate in most of spring football last year because he was resting his throwing shoulder. Cade McNamara was the returning starter for a playoff team. The spring was like, well, it's Cade and JJ can't even compete. And then you get to August, they compete. Jim Harbaugh starts some one game each at the beginning of the year and then JJ wins the job. So it's like, okay, well, and that team made the playoff. A year ago at this time, Chandler Morris is in there. Max Duggins, the returning starter at TCU, but they have a new coaching staff. Hey, Chandler Morris, he's a big time transfer. Chandler Morris wins the job in the fall, starts in the beginning of the year, gets hurt. Max Duggan takes over. TCU makes the playoff. Max Duggan's a Heisman finalist. So that, that kind of didn't matter. Then we go back two seasons. Stetson Bennett was like a third stringer at the beginning of the season. So that's part of it, Shahan, that sometimes I'm very interested in who the quarterback is going to be but sometimes I wonder especially the top programs how much does it actually matter because is there just an infrastructure in place that's going to make them succeed they're going to call good plays they're going to get good blocking they're going to throw to good skill guys and any quarterback should succeed I, I don't know sometimes like how how many of these battles that we're going to talk about Will the winner of the battle determine whether that team's a playoff team or not? I, I, I think Michigan, you could make that case. J.J. brought them something new at Michigan last year, but yet they had made it the year before with Cade McNamara. I don't know, Shahan. I'm not trying to devalue quarterback, but at the really good programs, I wonder sometimes if there aren't a lot of guys who could kind of get in there and do a pretty good job. Well, I, I will say, <laughs> obviously you cover Ohio State. I think that Ohio State has as built up a passing game system as maybe any team in the country. If Bryce Young is not the quarterback in 2021 and it's, uh, oh, what's the, what's the backup's name? I'm already forgetting. Uh, uh, He's literally from Texas. Anyway, the running quarterback that they had back there who started obviously two games for them last year when Bryce Young was hurt. Jalen Milrow. Jalen Milrow. Jalen Milrow. That's there we go. I was thinking Jalen Simpson, but I'm actually mixing up Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson into one person. Oh, yeah. Anyway, Jalen Milrow. Uh, You know, I I don't think that Jalen Milrow leads him to the playoff in 2021. Right. Like, I think that there is a ceiling, especially at a program uh, that, that, you know, I mean, obviously Alabama's got good players. I don't want to pretend like they don't have, <laughs> obviously they're Alabama, but 
you know, how much does it help at, at a program like Alabama? How much does it help at a program like Michigan? How much does it help at a program like TCU? I, I think it's quite a bit. Ohio State, yeah, I think that it's a little more plug and play just because the system is so good from a passing perspective. I'd probably say the same about USC. I'm curious about that question at Georgia. We're about to find out the answer because Lord knows they weren't this with Jake Fromm back there. So I I think that there's something to that. I don't think quarterback is the be all end all that maybe it's been in previous years, but I still think it's very important. Okay, when we come back. We're going to start our draft. I'm going to give myself the first pick. Sorry, dude. Okay, okay. We're going to go through the six most intriguing, important battles for the playoff this spring, next on the College Football Survivor Show. Previously on the College Football Survivor Show. Would you like to guess what did not happen in this defensive draft? Is there something that stands out that did not happen? No, are you referring to something? No Oklahoma players drafted. Did you even have an Oklahoma player on a list anywhere? Nowhere. We took five Oklahoma players in the offense draft. They were the second most represented offense. I forgot their nickname during the course of the defense draft. I was like, the Okies? What are they again? Just not even a thought, right? (laughs) Okay. You know, Oba Okoronkwo, nice player who I never considered. I don't know. He's the guy whose name I at least wrote down. Catch the latest episode of the College Football Survivor Show wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, Shahan, the reason I'm giving myself the first pick is because you teased it into the one that I want to start with. And I want to start with Alabama. And there's a couple things that I, why I think Alabama is number one in this conversation. One of them is it's a new offensive coordinator in Tommy Reese, which just complicates things. Now, that's comp- that's also true at Georgia, but Tommy Reese is coming in from the outside. Georgia promoted from within. Although Todd Monken's a huge deal, we'll get to that when we talk about Georgia. The other thing is it feels like potentially the contrast between the two Alabama guys vying for this job is the greatest contrast between Jalen Milrow, who started the Texas A&M game last year, for example, and Ty Simpson. And Jalen Milrow is as dynamic of a runner as you will ever. I, I said it already on this podcast. It is amazing. He is amazing in the open field when he gets going. But in that game against Texas A&M last year when he started, Alabama won 24-20. He was 12 of 19 for 111 yards. He did throw three touchdowns. He ran 17 times for 81 yards. He also threw a pick and fumbled twice. So there was a lot happening there. And when you go back and watch him play, there are just multiple moments, young quarterback in a very difficult situation. And he found his way, found a way to lead his team to victory. All credit for that. There are moments when he's in the pocket, waiting, waiting, beat one, beat two, go. And it feels like he's reluctant to pull the trigger on some of these throws there. Ty Simpson is a year younger. He can also scoot. There's a highlight, there's a high school highlight of Ty Simpson out there where he turns his back to the line of scrimmage three different times before throwing a 75-yard touchdown pass. This guy can move. These, These are two mobile quarterback options. It feels like highlight films, high school stuff, the little bit of Jalen Milrow you saw last year. Maybe Ty Simpson throws it a little bit better. I don't know. Jalen Milrow's a year older. I don't know where this is gonna wind up, Shahan. But Bama hasn't had a battle like this since 2018, Tua versus Jalen Hurts. 
that Tua Tonga-Vailoa won that. Jalen Hurts stuck around as a backup, then transferred the next year. It's been pretty seamless since then. 19 is Tua again. 20, Mac Jones slides in. Then they go to Bryce Young for two years. It's it's It doesn't seem obvious, right? I don't know which way they're going to go. And you watch these guys, you can see the skill for both Milrow and Simpson, but you can also see how different they might be. No question. And I think that a huge part of this is going to be, we're going to figure out very quickly what Tommy Reese is. The past couple of years at Notre Dame, he has been a coordinator who has, uh, for lack of a better phrase, kind of taken the pieces that he had and tried to slot them into places. Well, I think with this Alabama team, you've got infinite pieces. You've got infinite places. And with Jalen Milrow, I do think that if they were to bring out Jalen Milrow, uh, you know, maybe this is reductionist, but I think that they'd run a very Jalen Hurts style offense. And that kind of offense obviously took the Philadelphia Eagles to the Super Bowl this year. So that is something that I anticipate them considering quite a bit. And the other thing, too, that I think is always very important to mention is that, you know, he he wasn't all that good in his two starts. They won both of the games, of course. Uh, but, you know, I think that the big thing for Jalen Milrow is that they are going to build an offense that fits him. You know, he's not going to step into the Bryce Young offense and be asked to do stuff that Bryce Young was asked to do last year. They're going to build something different if he is the quarterback. Ty Simpson gives him a little bit more ability to kind of stick with what's worked with uh, with Bryce Young. I think he's just a little bit more of a dynamic passer. I think that he does have that mobility, but I see it more as somebody like a Bryce Young who uses that mobility to set up the passing game than maybe somebody who's a runner like Jalen Milrow is. Uh, both quarterbacks who I think you can have a lot of success with at the college level, to be clear. I, I think that you can build a success offense around either we're going to learn what Tommy Reese wants and another part of this too that I think might come into play is I think that they're going to really consider what they feel like they have at receiver because that has been an issue for them since 2021 they have not had good receiver play uh, consistently over the uh, over the past year and you know they, they obviously have more guys coming in they have a talented recruiting class coming in Maybe they're able to fix some of it. But if they feel like they have some questions at receiver, I would not be surprised to see them at all kind of rely on Jalen Milrow and, and his dual threat ability to maybe keep this offense on schedule. Yeah, he he might save him, man, especially like early in the year. That's a really good point. He He is a kind of guy who looks like he can save you. And he yeah. did. He has somewhat significantly more experience than Ty Simpson. Jalen Milrow, 192 snaps last year. Ty Simpson played 30 snaps last year. And it is just such a difference when you're talking about the, the style of play. Jalen Milrow last year, again, 192 snaps. He ran for 263 yards in those 192 snaps. Bryce Young had 715 snaps. He ran for 185 yards. So Jalen sure. Milrow had more rushing yards than Bryce Young, and Bryce Young played 715 snaps compared to 192. Sometimes when you're young, when you don't, if you're not sure of what you're seeing, you run, especially when you're as skilled as Jalen Milrow is. So that doesn't mean he's going to run for 2,000 yards, but also it looks like he could if he wanted to. Man, that guy, he <laughs> is remarkable. So it, it, I think there's some stylistic things they will choose here. I do think that you look at what's around you, your offensive line, your receivers, that kind of thing. In the end, though, you got to go with the guy that gives you the best chance. 
to win. But I have seen it firsthand sometimes where it's like, hey, this is breaking down a little bit. We've got to have a guy who can get us out of trouble and run the ball. So if there's things that aren't clicking at Alabama, maybe Jalen Milrow is that answer. This feels like complicated. I think it is hard. I think it is hard for a guy to come in from the outside and lead a competition like this. It is not easy. You don't on one hand it's like hey it's nice everybody has a clean slate. On the other hand you have no foundation with any of these guys. I think maybe some people were making a bigger deal out of the fact that Tommy Reese like offered Ty Simpson out of high school when he was at Notre Dame so like he's watched him he's watched film on him maybe went and saw one of his games. I don't know. I don't think that matters. I think this could be tough. Shahan, and it feels like maybe this is one that goes all the way until the week before the season starts because it feels like there's two very capable, very different guys without any foundation with the offensive coordinator. And it, as much as I like came in downplaying quarterbacks, this could be the difference between Alabama being a playoff team or not. Because if they come out of the gates and they stumble early, you know, because the whoever the quarterback is is working his way in. That's going to have a big factor in the last year of the fourteen playoff. No doubt. And the other thing to mention about it is, like we said, there is no real obvious kind of tree that Tommy Reese is a part of. He doesn't run a particular system. It's a lot of pulling multiple things together. You know, he he coached uh, under the Chargers for one season under Mike McCoy. I don't think that tells us a whole lot. He obviously played under uh, Chuck Martin, uh, who was his offensive coordinator at Notre Dame. Like there's there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on and I don't know what any of it means in terms of what his philosophy is on coaching offensive football. But again, Notre Dame is a great job. Alabama is a job where you have a vision and you put pieces exactly where you want them to be. And Lord knows that Nick Saban asked him those questions whenever he offered him the job. And so I feel pretty good uh, that we're going to get some answers to that question right away. And I think that whoever wins that quarterback battle will be probably the biggest first answer to the question. So, Shahan, if you had picked first, would you have picked Alabama as the most intriguing, interesting, important quarterback battle here? I think that there's a great argument for it. I probably would have gone with the Alabama first, but I think that my number two pick is also just as intriguing. So go ahead. At number two, I'm going to go with the Georgia Bulldogs. You know, the funny thing about Georgia is that they have had so many talented quarterbacks come through there. Number one recruit, Justin Fields. Number one recruit, Jacob Eason, was also there under uh, Kirby Smart. And by far, their most impactful quarterback it, was Stetson Bennett, was a former walk-on turned Juco player turned bounce back who ended up coming back and winning two national championships. And first of all, you have to do it without Stetson Bennett. Second of all, you have to do it without Todd Monken, who obviously is off to the NFL now. And uh, third of all, you have to do it with Mike Bobo, who is somebody who has had inconsistent success, of course, in the SEC over the past couple of years. And fourth of all, you have to do it with a room full of guys who I think are also pretty different. Uh, Carson Beck is sort of, I guess, the presumed starter. He's been there for three years. He is a very traditional pocket passer, I think that you would say. Uh, somebody good height, good uh, stance in the pocket. I think that if they stick with Carson Beck, 
you're going to see an offense that is very traditional pass centric. I, I don't think that you're going to see some of a, a lot of the like midfield tight end stuff. I don't think you're going to see as much motion. I don't think you're going to see as much quarterback run game. It, it's just a different kind of system. I think that, that you'd be running with Carson Beck. I, I think Brock Vandergriff gives you a little bit of in between, a little in between the, uh, the sort of drop back passer versus somebody like Stetson Bennett, who was such a true dual threat, but. You know, I, I don't think that we have a good feel for also how either of these guys have developed. We basically haven't seen them play at all. Uh, Brock Vandergriff was a former five star. Carson Beck was a top 250 recruit, so still really good. But again, we haven't had these guys come in and play because of JT Daniels and uh, and Stetson Bennett taking up so many of the snaps between uh, these last two years. So I don't really have a good feel for this one. And it's one of these things. They have gotten this wrong. Now, they yes. won the Nash two national championships, but in 2018, they stay with Jake Fromm. They have Justin Field as a five-star freshman, the number two recruit in the country. They use him as sort of a running, wrinkle, quarterback, red zone kind of guy. It's like, I don't know. It's it's fine, I guess. But he he he's in like a weird role, weird enough that it's like, okay, I'm not going to stick around for this. And maybe they just should have gone with Justin Fields. Then... JT Daniels wins the job in 2021. Stetson Bennett's not even the second stringer, and they backdoor injury their way to Stetson Bennett. They kind of don't even want to do it. They sort of do it by accident, and the guy winds up leading in the two national championships. So they have, I think you could argue, they have picked the wrong quarterback a lot in the Kirby Smart sure. era. And, I mean, it's it's funny sometimes when you go through how often – Teams pick the wrong quarterback and and survive. They, that's again, you go back to you survive because your backup's good, your coaching's good, your defense is good, all those things. So, as much faith as you should have in the idea of Georgia being good at football, I don't think you should have very much faith in them picking the <laughs> the right quarterback. They might be fine anyway. They very likely will be fine anyway. But this could get messy, and. It's weird, like if Stetson Bennett was in this competition as like young Stetson Bennett, he'd be we wouldn't even be talking about him. He'd be like, oh, yeah, they got this walk on and came back from junior college, too, because Carson Beck was the number 250 overall recruit in 2020. This is about the 247 sports composite rating. Uh, Brock Vandegrift was the number 17 overall recruit in 2021. And Gunnar Stockton was the number 124 overall recruit in 2022. So they're stacking quarterbacks. They have guys at the combine this past week. Stetson Bennett, 5'11", 192 is what he measured at. Carson Beck is 6'4", 215. Brock Vandergriff is 6'3", 205. Gunnar Stockton is 6'1", 210. So they're all taller. They're all bigger. They all look like quarterbacks more than Stetson Bennett did. But Stetson Bennett fit their system, played great, threw some nice balls at the combine, as you said. Shahan probably helped his stock. But he doesn't look the part as much as these three guys look the part. But again, I think Todd Munkin brought out the best in Stetson Bennett. And a lot of these, there are, there are quotes from these guys in their past. Like, hey, you're going to stick around? Why are you sticking around? Why didn't you transfer by now? And you'll find quotes from Carson Beck and Brock Vandergriff talking about, man, Todd Munkin's so good. I want to play for Todd Munkin. Mike Bobo, internal hire, a promotion like that. Again, I, th I think this gets significantly potentially more complicated, Shahan, because sort of like the guy they thought they were coming to play for isn't there. And 
I don't know, man. I think this could, I think. No, I think it definitely could too. And I've said it multiple times. Georgia was a great defense last year, but 2022 Georgia was an offensive team. They were a team built around the quarterback, built around the tight ends, having success in that phase of the game. And their defense was good enough to obviously be a really good team. But I think that it's probably going to flip back without experience at the quarterback position. By the way, another thing on top of this, for the second straight year, one of Georgia's top receivers decided to leave. A.D. Mitchell transferred to Texas because he wasn't happy with his role at Georgia. Uh, a year after, obviously, the same happened with the player transferring to, to Alabama, Jermaine Burton. So, like, I think that they need their wide receivers to to grow up and be ready to play. They obviously have Brock Bowers back. That's going to help anybody. But I do think that with these three guys, you are looking at a more traditional passing offense. And you talk about infrastructure and how that can help cover up some warts. I, I don't know from a pure passing game perspective without Todd Monken, if they have that elite level infrastructure to make sure that that's the case. So I think that this decision is going to be very important. And I, I think that the vision that Mike Bobo has for this offense could also be a huge, huge deal. It's funny because Georgia is still the overwhelming national title favorite they're about two and a half to one on DraftKings. alabama's five to one ohio state seven and a half to one but they lost their offensive coordinator who was probably the best coordinator in college football the past two years and they lost their starting quarterback who was a driving force of what they did and then all the defensive stuff of course they're losing keely ringo and jalen carter and nolan smith and all these important guys but you sort of you sort of believe they'll replace the defense because that's just what they do and that's what kirby smart does yeah. and that's what will Muschamp and glenn schumann do and they just have a pipeline of talent defensively but they're real this is a this is a huge question mark. And so I think when everyone starts to mark down their playoff teams, aren't you going to have to pause slightly on Georgia minus Monken and minus Bennett? Now, one of the things Vandegrift is really interesting because it does feel like he yes. moves a little more than Beck and he's pretty nice size. You know, he's four inches taller than Stetson. And it felt like in the end they they said it. They went to Stetson Bennett because he was more mobile than JT Daniels, not just opened up some things in their offense. If they want to keep that idea, we just want a guy who can move a little bit more. Vandegrift might have the edge here. Career snaps, 118 for Carson Beck, 21 for Brock Vandegrift. Last year, it was 89 for Beck, 11 for Vandegrift. So Vandegrift barely played his whole career, but he moves better than Beck. And I wonder, other things being equal, will that be an edge for him? But man, this feels like it's wildly up in the air. And I don't think... Do I think Bama has a better chance of coming to a good resolution than Georgia does? I mean, Brock Vandegrift is ranked very high. I don't know. Milrow just looks special in what he does, and Simpson seems like he might have it. I don't know, man. I don't. I think this could get sideways for Georgia. I just thought Todd Monken was so good. That's a big part of this for me. <laughs> no, absolutely it is. And, you know, I, I keep coming back to it. That national title game was a Todd Monken masterclass. Like, yeah, they, they played great defense and their players played well. But also Todd Monken ran circles around Joe Gillespie, a very, very good defensive coordinator. TCU had no idea what they were looking at whenever they were defending Georgia's offense. And also they had worse players. So, you know, just just a nightmare of a combination if, you, if you're on the other side of that. And so I think it's a huge deal. I don't think that Mike Bobo deserves the benefit of the doubt at this point that he can just step in and replace uh, Todd Monken. Now, 
frankly, there was no coordinator they could have hired yeah. that I would probably feel that strongly about. So, you know, that's that's not a shot at Mike Bobo. That's, I, I think, a testament to what they lost. I do feel better that Alabama is going to come to a good solution than Georgia. Now, Georgia has lots of other advantages, obviously, when you talk about their offensive line, when you talk about having the best offensive player on either of these teams and Brock Bowers and defensively, obviously, they are just on a different planet right now than what we've seen from Alabama these last couple of years. So Georgia can still kind of get this answer wrong and it not matter. And the other thing, too, is that they're going to have a season this year, kind of like Michigan last year, where it might not actually matter until the 13th game of the season because their schedule really sucks. So, you know, that that's probably the nice part. Alabama, for you know, for all the jokes I make, they do play Texas in week two, which will be a pretty tough battle. And then the SEC West schedule is going to be a little bit tougher for them than I think what George is facing. So I think they have to also figure it out a little quicker than what George is going to have to. But I do have more faith right now that Alabama's process at quarterback specifically is going to come to a good resolution because I just feel like I know a little bit more about both of their players as well. To be clear, I know more about their players because I think we've seen them do things, not because I don't know who Georgia's players are before somebody comes and yells yeah, at Yeah, I mean, it's just really, it's, it's really hard sometimes. Brock Vandegriff is an incredibly highly rated quarterback who in two years of college football has played 21 snaps. He was the number 17 yeah. player in his class. He's played 21 snaps. Yeah. I don't, yeah. it's hard, man. And it's like, well, why? Well, how come you haven't played more? I don't know, because my team won the national title both years. Veteran quarterback sure. locked it down and let us. It's not my fault, but he just hasn't done it. He could move, though. I feel like Beck is the safe answer as a fourth-year guy. Vandegrift yeah. feels like the upside answer as a third-year guy. And then again, there's a stylistic decision. There's an age decision. And I do think there's an upside versus a safe pick decision. And, you know, a year ago... Michigan picked upside, right? As soon as J.J. McCarthy, who had the upside, showed he could be relied upon, they went to the upside. Cade McNamara would have been safe. So I wonder if Georgia here, listen, Georgia plays, Georgia played a bunch of young guys on defense last year. They're not afraid to play young five stars. If you apply (laughs) that to the quarterback battle, maybe this is Brock Vandegrift, right? So I I don't know, because Detson, think about it, but again, you talk about the national title game, that semifinal. Stetson Bennett came on the field in the final two and a half minutes and had to lead a game-winning drive against Ohio State. Todd Bunkin and Stetson Bennett got 100%. that done. Think about Mike Bobo and Carson Beck in that same position. No offense to Doesn't either of them. <laughs> Doesn't feel as good. But that was a guy, that was Stetson Bennett had been around the block and nobody dials it up like Bunkin. Like that, that's how important this can be, Shahan. So it I, it, it is going to give me some pause on the Georgia three-peat discussion because we can't ignore it, and it's the coupling of the two. If Monken was there, I think I'd Monken knows these guys. He's seen them in practice. He'll figure it out. If they had, you know, the next Bryce Young lined up, it's like, okay, well, they'll fit, you know, any coordinator can bring out the best in a guy like this. I don't feel like they have either of those. No offense to anybody who's there. They're all very good, but I think I think it could be tough. Yeah. And one thing I think I'll say to close us out and maybe transition us into your next pick is I don't think that we can just assume that the process is guaranteed to work. Because think back to 2016 for Alabama, right? They go from Jalen Hurts to Tua to Mac Jones to Bryce Young. So like success, 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 success. 
Think about uh, Ryan Day in Ohio State. You go Dwayne Haskins to Justin Fields uh, to uh, to CJ Stroud, right? Like that is a process that worked, and we can trust that they have the next guy in line. We haven't seen the guys at Ohio State play very much, but we know that the process is something that's worked in the past. I think that you point to the same thing with like Lincoln Riley across Oklahoma and USC. You know that when somebody's sitting, they're learning and they're going to be ready when their number is called. So I I think that Georgia has to prove that at this position specifically. Again, this is not a a knock against Georgia's program. I want to be very clear about that. But when when it's time to pick a quarterback, they are not in the same class as those two programs at this point of just assuming a replacement level quarterback is coming along. These battles not quite starting yet. Georgia, March 14th for the start of spring football and Bama, March 20th, I think, for the start of spring football. So a little bit of a ways away. Ohio State is the, is the program that I will pick next as you let us into that. And Ohio State starts on Tuesday, starts on Tuesday, March 7th. This battle commences and actually – Devin Brown and Kyle McCord are both supposed to talk to the media on the first day of spring practice. So we will get a little Ooh. bit of information about this. Media access. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, Kyle McCord is a third-year guy. He was uh, the number 28 overall player in the class of 2021. Devin Brown is a second-year guy. He was the number 43 overall player in the class of 2022. Kyle McCord has played 162 snaps in his career, 67 last year. Devin Brown has played 15 snaps in his career all last year. Kyle McCord, as a freshman, did start one game against Akron in 2021 when C.J. Stroud was recovering from a a shoulder issue. So I think this is clearly third among the three because I think it is the one where it's reasonable to have the most faith of – Well, whoever they pick, it'll be pretty good. Sort of what you said, sort of with the guys who are competing, even though they haven't played much. Kyle McCord was handpicked by Ryan Day. J.J. McCarthy, as a recruit, was interested in Ohio State. Ryan Day picked Kyle McCord over J.J. McCarthy. J.J. McCarthy winds up at Michigan. The Devin Brown path is a little more circuitous. He was a USC commit before Lincoln Riley got there. Ohio State has Quinn Ewers. Quinn Ewers transfers away. There's a decommit. Now, all of a sudden, Devin Brown is on the market late. He picks Ohio State, but he sort of fits what Ohio State is looking for in quarterbacks. Devin Brown, I think, from a perception standpoint, is viewed as maybe a little more mobile. But I think both McCord and Brown are potentially more mobile than C.J. Stroud was. So I think McCord is a solid favorite here. But Devin Brown's pretty good. Man, so I do think it will be a real battle. I, I don't think you go in with assumptions, but I think Kyle McCord has been, you know, has been the backup quarterback. He's kind of on track for this. And I think Devin Brown would really have to do something to get past him. But do you sort of feel like, Shahan, whatever it is, it'll kind of work out for the Buckeyes? Yeah, I absolutely feel that way. I will mention Devin Brown was rated by on three as the number one player in his class. Not necessarily something that I buy into. I don't really know where that came from, but uh, but a very good player. Right. So I don't think that ratings or anything like that. I mean, Kyle McCord was a consensus five star. I think Devin Brown is every bit as good as a player. So, yeah, I'm really not that concerned about it. I mean, Kyle McCord has two years in the system. I think that's a huge deal. Uh, Kyle McCord was the primary backup this past season. I don't necessarily think that much has changed from that perspective. 
it feels like McCord's job to lose. Uh, like you said, both these guys are a little more mobile than Stroud, which congratulations on that. Uh, but I think that I think that both of them have the ability to be dynamic. They're going to have a lot of help, obviously, with the best receiver room in the country by a million miles, including probably the best individual skill talent in college football in Marvin Harrison Jr. Although, man, I'd, I'd love to have a battle to see who would uh, win a skill position contest between Marvin Harrison Jr. and Brock Bowers. That would be mm. a lot of fun. But <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I don't even know how you determine a winner of that. But point is i think they're gonna be fine and i think that they're going to put up amazing numbers and throw for a lot of yards and and yeah i mean i i think that certainly there's always a level of upside that can change any program even if you're alabama even if you're ohio state even if you're georgia but i think that you know, it's hard for me to anticipate that either of those guys will probably reach that level in their first season starting. That's probably more of a second season thing where you see like the top five pick in the draft type j- jump potentially. So I think that they're going to be fine regardless. I think they're going to, you know, throw for a lot of yards. And yeah, I think that this belongs at number three because it's very important for the playoff race, but it's also in its own way not that important because they're going to come to a good answer. It has the most infrastructure in place. With Marvin, yes. Marvin Harrison Jr., with Emeka Buka, with Ryan Day as the play caller. Although Brian Hartline actually might call plays this year. That could be a change for Ohio sure, State, sure. but Ryan Day is still there overseeing Should the be offense. But as opposed to Bama and Georgia having more questions at receiver than Ohio State does, as opposed to Bama and Georgia having new offensive coordinators, even if Brian Hartline takes over play calling from Ryan Day, Ryan Day is going to be right there with him. So both of these guys are trained in the system. They're playing in the same offense they were recruited to, and that's a big deal. So um, I, again, I think it's because it's Ohio State, because it's a national title contender, and because it's a – these are the three favorites for the national title right now, and they all are looking for new starting quarterbacks. So that's why they have to be first three on the list. But after this – much more interesting with the teams we are going to grab here with our final three picks. And we will do that next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, back on the College Football Survivor Show. You guys now know twice a week free. Used to have one of them as a pay show. They're both free now. You can follow us on Twitter at CFB survivor show you guys know you can read shahan jaharaja at cbs sports shahan i know you mentioned a story you've been working on you're always dropping stuff at cbs sports anything special you want to direct people to at the moment no that story that i've been uh, teasing for like weeks at this point is finally actually coming out out on tuesday okay Yes, I uh, I did write a story on kind of a primer on Coach Prime at Colorado. So that was interesting because there's so much talk about, well, some of the wild stuff that Dion said, but also the uh, the sort of off field chatter that I don't think that people are paying enough attention to how interesting this is going to be in uh, Dion Sanders first year. They've got a really fun group of assistant coaches. Sean Lewis at Kent State is now their offensive coordinator, and he is to me somebody who should already be a head coach in the power five like bar done and so he'll be fun to watch that they have charles kelly on the defensive side of the ball who's been a co-coordinator at bama so they got some dudes out there and i'm i'm gonna be very excited to see them actually get to go on the field and play it might not be good this year but it's gonna be a lot of fun yeah good for colorado i'm curious to see who you're gonna pick fourth here 
because I think now it's not obvious. So who's the fourth most interesting, important quarterback battle for the playoffs? Yeah, well, I think spring? that if you look at the the odds list, right? I'm looking at the at the Caesars odds right now. Like you have to go pretty far down the list after this to find a quarterback battle where things aren't presumed, right? I think that I look at Clemson as a, as something that's settled. I look at you know Notre Dame, even though they might technically have an open competition with Sam Hartman and Tyler Buckner. I think that that's pretty clearly going to be Sam Hartman, uh, Penn State, similar situation. So I'm going to go a little off board. I'm going to go with UCLA. <laughs> so yep. UCLA. That, they were not and the, on the list that I looked at. They are a team that's that, not right. in the top 26, but they deserve to be in this conversation because I do think I had them on my list of top six because how interesting. Yeah, they, how interesting they have such a unique situation because Dorian Thompson Robinson came back for his fifth year of eligibility and was really, really good for them. I think that people kind of didn't pay enough attention to how good he was for that team and how much he made it go. I made the comparison last year. People were waiting to kind of see who the Kenny Pickett was going to be of the 2022 season. I would argue it's Dorian Thompson Robinson at UCLA. He led them to nine wins, their most wins since 2014. And now he's gone. Now they're going to have to start somebody new for the first time in four or five years. He's played a lot of football for UCLA. Uh, and and again, I think we're going to have kind of a battle to see what kind of quarterback UCLA wants to go forward with. So the big name coming in is Dante Moore, the number three player in the 247 sports composite ratings, a hugely talented player, somebody who's committed to Oregon for a long time before UCLA was able to swoop in and get him, which, by the way, fun fact about this kid who chose between two West Coast schools. He's from Detroit, didn't even really seem to consider Michigan or most of the Big Ten. So that's, well, actually, I guess that's not true. I guess he did pick the Big Ten at the end of the day with with UCLA. Yeah, look at that. Big Ten recruiting on the up and up. But uh, no, but, you know, a super talented player, somebody who's going to be a superstar very soon in college football. The question, I think, is going to be whether that starts right now or whether that starts in the future. I, I think it'll probably start in the future. You know, I was I was doing a story today uh, because another team that maybe we'll talk about in a little bit, Texas, announced that they are having an open competition. Well, if you look at the 247 Sports Composite ratings, no number one quarterback recruit, which Dante Moore's not number one, but, you know, he's top three. No number one quarterback recruit in the 247 Composite ratings has started week one since actually this school, since Josh Rosen at UCLA, most programs that I guess to to kindly put it that are well run and not kind of throwing Hail Marys, they don't like to start these kids early because it really can put them in a bind. We saw what it did to Josh Rosen when he was thrown out and he ended up having to to learn under three different offensive coordinators. I don't think that they're going to throw him to the wolves in year one. I, I just don't see that happening. They do have two other very talented quarterbacks. Ethan Garbers, uh, who people might remember his brother Chase Garbers from Cal. Actually, what am I saying? Why would anybody remember the Cal quarterback? But th- that, that's just my my world. <laughs> but, yeah, for real. <laughs> you would, you would that. remember that. But, but Ethan Garbers, uh, a really highly rated recruit coming out of high school, was the primary backup last year, uh, had some nice moments. I believe he came in in relief uh, in one game earlier in the year against Colorado or something like that and threw for a bunch of yards and had a nice performance. So he's somebody who uh, is kind of the incumbent, the person that I'm talking about when I say 
you know, somebody who's been in the system for a year or two, uh, who, who knows what they're doing. They also added a transfer, Colin Schlee from Kent State. Actually, I mentioned Sean Lewis, now the offensive coordinator at Colorado. Colin Schlee was his quarterback at Kent State, and he was really good. Uh, he threw for over 2,000 yards and 13 touchdowns and was also a pretty dynamic runner as well. I think that he fits in some ways that Dorian Thompson Robinson molds. And so it's going to be really interesting. Does, does Chip Kelly decide to try for for lack of a better phrase try and win now with one of these upperclassmen or does he hand the keys to Dante Moore and say look we're kind of willing to burn the season and and enter 2024 with a returning quarterback it's going to be a lot of fun to figure out so there's a couple things at play here i think there are circumstances right that could affect the situation here one is chip kelly just got a two year extension yes. to his deal so he's there through 2027 at this point. So, hey, man, you just had two good years, but like you're not going anywhere, Chip. So no worries about, hey, you got to have another great year. In 2018, they were in a similar situation. He basically, this is only the second time he's done this at UCLA because Dorian Thompson Robinson was kind of yeah. the quarterback for five years. So that's like, oh, we don't have to. I would just say like our quarterback battles exciting because college football, you're churning guys. They weren't churning anybody at UCLA. It was DTR. In 2018, Chip Kelly's first year, they had a transfer from Michigan, Wilton Spate, and he was competing for the job with true freshman Dorian Thompson-Robinson and another guy. Wilton Spate won the job. And then he got hurt, and Dorian Thompson-Robinson came in, and then DTR got hurt, and Wilton Spate came back in, and they kind of shared the job in 2018. So the last time and only time at UCLA that Chip Kelly's had to do this, he picked the older transfer. He picked the older option. He did not play the freshman. But then it turned out the freshman had to play anyway. And then the freshman in 19, 20, 21, and 22 was your starting quarterback. And guess what? All those reps, all those snaps he got helped pay off in two really good years in year four and year five. So I wonder what that experience has done for Chip Kelly. Because this is your last year in the Pac-12. The whole world is changing next year. I don't even know if people are going to remember. Like, this year of UCLA football has so little to do with next year of UCLA football. So maybe go with the kid and hope that by year three and year two in the Big Ten, he's really ready to do some stuff. I'm not sure from a logistics standpoint why you wouldn't roll the dice and play the freshman unless you think playing him will ruin him, right? Well, we're, our number one priority is the development of Dante Moore. That is our priority. We just think the best way to develop him is to not have him be the starter. Okay. But I would not, I would have that so far and above anything else on my mind that that's the only thing that matters to me because he is your future. And if you do this right, man, in 2025, like, you might be making a playoff run, man. So let's think about that. No, and I, I think that that definitely is top priority. I mean, this UCLA team next year is going to be good, but probably not as good as last year's team that had a chance to win 10 games. So 
and and the other part of this too is that the Pac-12 is going to be really competitive next year. You know, there's not a lot of quarterback battles to pick from in the Pac-12 because there are so many good quarterbacks coming back. Michael Penix, Bo Nix, Caleb Williams. It's going to be a really fun year. Cameron Rising, obviously on that list. You've got DJU coming in, who again, I, I kind of view as a presumed starter at Oregon State, a, a team that uh, you might not know threw for 60 yards when they beat Oregon. And uh, I think that in UCLA, you know, they're going to probably bring Dante Moore along whenever he's ready. I, I think that it will end up being a Kelly Bryant situation where maybe Colin Schley goes out there and starts the first half of the year. And by the end of the year, Dante Moore is starting like Trevor Lawrence did for Clemson back in the day. Uh, but I would not rush him out there. I don't think that there's any use in rushing him if he's not ready, because again, you're going to have this kid for three years in your program. You want to make sure that you do what's best for him. And I pointed out, you know, again, the last number one quarterback to start was Josh Rosen and having to fight fire from basically his first second on campus, I think really did him a disservice long term. And I think also pointed to a program that Jim Mora run that was not really ready for prime time in a lot of ways and was hoping that a quarterback recruit would come out and save them. So I think that uh, they should take him slow. I think that by the end of the year, Dante Moore will be the starter. He will be the quarterback to take UCLA into the Big Ten in 2024 you don't need to rush it along. I, I think that Colin Schley probably ends up being the guy to start, and I think that Dante Moore's the guy to finish. Okay, because I was, you know, Trevor Lawrence won a national championship as a freshman. He didn't begin the year as the starter, but he yeah, took over yeah. pretty soon. So I was, no. so I guess we are having a conversation about who starts week one. And so that conversation is week taking one. you away from the freshman, but maybe who plays the most snaps right. at quarterback for UCLA this year might be leading you toward the freshman. That's what you're saying? I think that that's what I'm okay. saying, yes. I think I can agree with that. But also, if the kid looks ready, play him. So, like, yeah, like, sure. Why not? If you're ready to roll, you're ready to roll. You, 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 you stepped on my thing. Which every now and then, like, I sometimes <laughs> there's like a thing that I've spent hours researching and you dismiss it in like two sentences. <laughs> and you're like, well, that's not a thing at all. Everybody knows that. And then I'm like, but I did research. So I am going to have us discuss Oregon State. Because on this okay. list, in try, I have a couple others, but I do want to talk about this, mostly because Oregon State throwing for 60 yards in a win over Oregon has become like your second biggest thing compared to Texas, which I hopefully we'll get to in a second. <laughs> but DJ like going to a team that is on the rise, right? They just had this amazing year. Everybody thinks Jonathan Smith is a great coach. Um, but like, I guess presumed, right, is the right, word for dj but it doesn't they're not talking like it's a 1000 percent over situation because ben Golbrinson, who was the starting quarterback last year is still there and when we did our our podcast about quarterback recruits we both liked aiden childs who was coming and i don't think he as a true freshman is going to win it with dj on the roster but ben Golbrinson, like helped lead them to this season a year ago. He was seven and one as a starter after taking over after an injury. I don't know. Like doesn't, doesn't DJ have to go win it a little bit, right? It's not like, it's not like DJ was an all American last year. No, I think that's totally fair. 
Uh, no, and like you said, Ben Gulbrinson was was seven and one, including throwing for sixty yards and two interceptions and a win over Oregon. But uh, no, I mean he was a freshman. He was thrust into action. Actually, the guy who was kind of more supposed to be the quarterback, Tristan Gebbia, is of course now at Ohio State because you know he he kind of felt like his time was over at Oregon State in a lot of ways, and so. I do think that Gulbrinson is going to come into play. The other thing to mention, though, is that Gulbrinson's pretty young. I don't think that Jonathan Smith feels like if DJ ends up being the starter, that Gulbrinson's career is just over at Oregon State, right? I mean, he was only a redshirt freshman last year. Uh, I think he, uh, yeah, I mean, so, you know, I think that he's going to have an opportunity to still be a big part of their future regardless. Aiden Shiles, like we talked about, is a player that we both like a whole lot. But to me, DJ is just the guy. He's just the guy. He's somebody who has a lot of experience. I think that he is the kind of quarterback who fits really well into what Jonathan Smith wants to do. It's a lot of motion. It's a lot of quick snap, quick read. Uh, I don't think they're going to ask him to make too many decisions. They're going to try to rely on his natural skill set. And I think it's going to go great. I, I think it's going to be really, really good. Uh, you know, because when you look at Clemson and Clemson's had you know, three transcendent quarterbacks in a row, you could argue, and not just Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson, but also, well, and I guess Kelly Bryant was in the middle there, who was very good and led them to a playoff. Uh, but Taj Boyd before them too, I mean, was a really, really good player for Clemson who kind of helped turn that thing around. So I, but they ask their quarterbacks to be superstars. Like the system was built on their quarterbacks already being superstars because they just kept being able to slot superstars into the lineup. And I think that you saw that in the hesitation and the slow reads and the lack of confidence at times that DJ Uyunglele had. This is a system. This is a system that I think helps quarterbacks be more effective and rely more on their natural skill sets and not just having to uh, to make a lot of decisions in a short amount of time. And also, I do think that um, that that at Oregon State, he's going to have a little bit more opportunity to grow against defenses that maybe are a little bit more geared towards what he wants to do. So I expect him to grow as a runner. We saw some development of that, especially in the first four weeks of ACC play at Clemson. I love this fit. I think this was the perfect fit. This was the kind of decision that I would have said, man, it would be really cool if DJ went to Oregon State, but obviously he would never do that. And he did that. And I think it's going to go great. Okay, but I think he'll have to win it. Like, I do think Jonathan Smith is is, going to run a competition when you have a guy who was seven and one as a starter last year, even though it was running the ball and defense and all those things. You've got to make sure that the new guy earns it. I think for the locker room, you've got to make sure the new guy earns it. So... I'll be curious to see how they go through the process, but I do think it's possible that like something gets unlocked in DJ. There's st- there's stuff in there, and it just never fully happened at Clemson. But again, there's an opportunity here. When you look at like the PFF ratings a year ago of the 79 quarterbacks in the Power Five who played a decent number of snaps, Gulbrinson was ranked 59th in overall rating. DJ was 23rd. Passing rating, DJ was 29th, Gulbrinson was 57th. So there's, I mean, there's a chance here. There's a chance to elevate that position at a program that is doing some stuff. So I do think we're all going to have our eyes on that, how that shakes out, because the Pac-12 with Bo Nix, with Michael Penix, with Caleb Williams, with DJ in there, 
this has a chance with Cam rising. This could be, this could, these are some quarterbacks who can play and have been around the block, man. And it could be a really fun year for some veteran Pac 12 quarterbacks. So I, I wanted to have that conversation. I'm glad we did. There's a couple more teams out there worth talking about, but who do you want to talk about, number six? Yeah, I still have three teams on my board that I really want to talk about. And I figure, look, I, I think we're going to have the Texas discussion at some point. So I am not going to pick them. I am going to go with what I think is the weirdest quarterback situation right now in all of college football. Going out to Ole Miss. Ooh. Ole Miss, who added a transfer quarterback last year to push a guy who started some games for them out in Luke Altmeyer. Uh Jackson Dart comes in, isn't very good. I, I was not the most optimistic about Jackson Dart. He, I don't know. I just never quite saw the vision of him at USC, but things didn't go very well. They basically kind of stopped passing in the latter half of the year and just ran the ball a whole lot. Then they bring in Walker Howard, a really good uh, quarterback recruit from LSU, somebody who was a top 50 player and uh, somebody who I think expected to come in and compete for the starting quarterback job. And then to just make everyone mad, they just added Spencer Sanders right on top of everybody. And I have no idea what the plan is. I have to remind everybody it is harder now, especially if you're an undergraduate, to get immediate eligibility on your second transfer. So if Spencer Sanders wins this job, which I expect Spencer Sanders is going to be the guy, one of these guys is going to be absolutely screwed because Jackson Dart and Walker Howard cannot just show up at a new stop and guarantee that they're going to be immediately eligible. They're kind of stuck there and they might be fighting for a backup job. So weird situation. Um, You know, look, if, for Ole Miss, like no harm, no foul. If you can get all those quarterbacks in there, that's, you know, you can do that. But Oh boy, is that going to be weird? And I mean, look, I, I guess the phrase that we have to say is that we're going to be relying on Lane Kiffin to create a harmonious atmosphere mm. between a bunch of guys who can't all get what they want. Yeah, I do. When you look at the second year quarterbacks, the guys from the class of 2022, the number one quarterback was yeah. Cade Klubnik. He's the presumed starter yeah. at Clemson. Number two was Connor Wegman. Finished the year as a starter at Texas A&M, presumed starter at Texas A&M. Number three was Ty Simpson. He's in a fight at Bama. Number four, Drew Aller, presumed starter at Penn State. Number six, Devin Brown, in a fight at Ohio State. Number seven, Gunnar Stockton, sort of maybe the third guy in the fight at Georgia. Number five was Walker Howard, who went to LSU and then transferred to Ole Miss. There's another, there's a part of me here, Shahan, that just wonders if you're Lane Kiffin, you know what Spencer Sanders has done? He's been good, right? Jackson Dart, he's good. Yeah. If there is upside with Walker Howard and you have a chance to maybe play this guy for a, be a two-year starter, maybe a three-year starter, I don't know. Do you lean that way? Do you lean toward the young guy because that's where you have a chance to be special? And then next year in 2024, in the first year of the 12-team playoff, if Walker Howard is the second-year starter at Ole Miss – Maybe it's time to go, man. This guy's like a five-star recruit. I don't I don't know. Again, I think some of that, it's a lot like with UCLA. Doesn't some of that have to factor into how Lane Kiffin does this? I think it matters, but I think that you also bring in a player like Spencer Sanders because you don't want to wait. You know, because they did not have to add him. They, you know, he's not somebody who necessarily 
made a lot of sense there if they're not trying to win now. And I think I think the other thing, too, is especially in the SEC West, you you have to win now. Like you just have to win now. You have to be good right now. There's there's not much waiting. You know, I, I remember having a conversation with a, a coach who was in the SEC before and he described SEC football versus the Big Ten versus Big 12 versus other leagues as being a plug and play sport. Like you just have to come in and if you're ready, you're ready. And if you're not, you're not because the pressure is now there's no waiting around. And so now obviously Lane Kiffin's not going to get fired next year. I'm not saying that, but I do think that they're going to make the best decision for right now and hope that it also works into the future. Cause the other thing too is, you know, we mentioned it with Dante Moore. He doesn't necessarily have to play to be the most prepared that he can be heading forward. And especially with Walker Howard, he's somebody who's been in college football a year. If he backs up Spencer Sanders for this year and maybe get some good reps, I think he can still be plenty prepared for 2024. I, I don't think that those things are mutually exclusive. But, you know, I, I think that you have to play the guy who's ready right now, because here's the other part of this, too. They kind of brought in Jackson Dart to do yeah. that. And then Jackson Dart wasn't any good. And then you kind of are screwed, not just for this year, but for future years. So and and just frankly, I don't think Lane is just going to be able to pull in two more elite level quarterback transfers if none of these guys work out in 2023. So I expect them to go with Spencer Sanders. I expect him to be a mentor to two of these guys, because from everything that I've heard, Spencer Sanders seems like a great kid who who does things the right way and, you know, has had his share of issues at Oklahoma State. But also, guess what? When he got hurt, Oklahoma State tailspinned like horrible like horrific stuff like awful awful they got destroyed by cans like all this stuff right they were an awful team without spencer sanders in the lineup i think he's still a very good player so i expect him to be the guy i expect him to yes be a transitionary quarterback to 2024 but i expect him to play a lot i expect him to play pretty well and uh and i think that walker howard probably is the guy by 2024 but again we we do have to point out we've never seen him play he has the the pedigree for sure but now he's going to be moving into a new system. We don't know necessarily what to expect of him. Okay, so those are our six. I probably have two others. I have, I have one I want to ask you a question about, and two others I think we should okay. at least discuss quickly. You have two others on your list still? Sure. All right. I do. Can I ask you this question first? Let me just ask you the question first. It, it's not one of my things. It's really a question. Because it's about a team okay. that played the national championship game. Is Chandler Morris definitely the guy at TCU? Yeah, Chandler Morris is definitely the guy at TCU. Okay, so he won the starting job last year. Max Duggan had been the starter at TCU. Chandler Morris comes in, beats out Max Duggan, gets hurt right away. Max Duggan takes over, second in the Heisman, second in the nation as a team. But now Chandler Morris is back to be the guy. Okay, I thought so, but I wanted to double check. They don't have an obvious guy uh, to, to kind of compete with them is the biggest thing. Okay, do you have Tennessee on your list? I do not. Okay, so let's do Tennessee real quickly. Joe Milton, veteran guy, had started his career at Michigan, has been at Tennessee a while, took over, played well in the bowl game. They beat Clemson, got people excited after the Hendon Hooker injury. But then there's the guy that we talked about on our quarterback recruiting pod several months ago, Nico Iamaleva, who is a true freshman, and are you going to come in and maybe let this guy loose and see what happens? New offensive coordinator there. Josh Heupel has a system. I guess it's probably it seems like it's probably Joe Milton because Joe Milton Joe Milton has really been around and again has a good bowl game under his belt but Nico's got some juice man like is it 
Is it on the radar, maybe at least, to keep our eye on Tennessee this spring? I think so. I, I Again, I think that with this situation, it could be another, like, I keep saying it, but, you know, like another situation where one guy starts and another guy finishes. Um, I, I don't think that they will be in a huge rush because, frankly, the 2023 team is probably not going to be their best team. Like they probably are going to set themselves up a little bit more. And then 2024 will be another 10 win type season uh, just because of what they lost on both sides of the ball. So I, I do think that Joe Milton will come out. I think that he's going to be pretty good. We saw good things from him, of course, in the Orange Bowl. I, I don't think that there's a question that he can be good. And so if you're if you're Tennessee, why throw him to the Wolves right away? Uh, why throw Nico to the Wolves right away? I don't think that they need to rush him. And so I think that Joe Milton will be the guy. And then, again, when you head into 2024 and the new ICC, I think that Nico gets to be just the face of your program. As much of a cr- contrast as you could have, sixth year for Joe Milton. He had three at Michigan. Now this is his <laughs> third at Tennessee. Yeah. So he's a sixth-year guy versus a true freshman. Joe Milton last year, 10 touchdowns, no interceptions. Okay, I wanted to mention Tennessee. What's another one you wanted to mention? Yeah, this is a very uh, me pick. Let's talk about the Cincinnati Bearcats. Mm. Uh, ben Bryant is back again for an again-again because he transferred and did all this stuff, but he's back. I don't think Ben Bryant is very good, frankly, and he's going to have two guys who are going to come in. I think really give him a hard time. The first is Emory Jones. People might remember him from Florida. Then he transferred to Arizona State and played a little bit last year. And was a was an Ohio State commit once upon a time before he landed at Florida. <laughs> of course he was, man. He's he's had a heck of a career. Um, people might remember him as the guy who didn't let Anthony Richardson start because Dan Mullen was like, Anthony Richardson doesn't know our playbook at all. And he just kind of does stuff. Uh, and now Anthony Richardson might be like a top 10 pick in the draft. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure that one out. But Emory Jones, uh, a good runner, a slightly limited player as a passer, I'd, I'd say, but still a, a decent player. I think he should fit in pretty well at Cincinnati. The other thing to, to mention, I mean, I guess you're in Ohio, so you might know. Do, do you know who Cincinnati's coach is right now? Yeah, Scott. I do not. Actually, I get this. Is it Feld or Field? Scott Satterfeld or Scott Satterfield? Tell me. I think it's Scott Satterfield. Okay. Yeah. Is there an eye in there? I'll look up to see if there's an eye. You keep talking. There is an eye in there. There is an eye in there. Uh, but my point is, like, this is this is a weird one. Like, this is this is <laughs> I don't know. Th- this is one of the weirder coaching moves that I feel like has been made in a little while. Uh, so I don't necessarily have a good feel on what Scott Satterfield is going to do with this position. Mm. The other guy to mention is Evan Prater. Really, really good player from Cincinnati. I believe that him and Desmond Ritter were both like two of the top Cincinnati kids in a, in a little while. So they kind of brought him in to be next Desmond Ritter in some ways. Now he's going to be a red shirt junior. I think he's probably ready for prime time. Uh, definitely think he's ready to compete with Evan Prater or uh, sorry, not with Evan Prater with Ben Bryant. It's been a long day. I'm sorry. It's been a long day. <laughs> this is my first day back in central time after my trip, trip to California this past week. Um, but I think that Prater is going to be ready to compete with Bryant. I think Emory Jones obviously was brought in to be some key competition I don't have a good feel of what direction this is going to go. This is going to be, I think, a really important decision for Cincinnati because this is the quarterback who will lead you into the Big 12 in 2023. So I'm going to be keeping a very close eye on this one, not just because I think that there are three talented players, but also because I want to know what does Scott Satterfield want from a quarterback? That's a good one. Uh, let me do one more that I just want to mention. I, 
I think it's also interesting because it's uh, it's another new coach and it's a three way battle, and that's Auburn and Hugh Freeze sure. coming into Auburn. Robbie Ashford took over last year, maybe not great, but has played the most snaps last year. T.J. Finley's been around, started his career at LSU, has been at Auburn. Six seven giant guy, and then Holden Gariner as a as a young guy. I just wonder Hugh Freeze when he started Old Miss had like a previous relationship with Bo Wallace and kind of brought him to Old Miss and then leaned on him for like three years. This is just it's a new coach in a new situation. I wonder if he might lean to the young guy who maybe sort of fits what he wants to do. So I think you keep your eye on Holden Gariner in that in that competition. But Ashford and Finley have both been around. And, you know, this is a huge it's, – it's Auburn, like trying to get back on its feet with a guy who has proven that he knows how to run offenses. So this is a huge deal. I don't know – this might be just a patch. A year one, we got to get through this year, and then Hugh Freeze is going to get his guy who's going to be the, the real – person to establish Auburn in the Hugh Freeze era, whether it's a recruit, whether it's a transfer guy, but they got to figure this out now. And this would be a chance for a year one coach. If you get quarterback kind of right, maybe they can flip it pretty quick at Auburn. And that would be a pretty big deal. So I'm curious how Hugh Freeze goes about it. I hate this quarterback room, man. I, I think that all three of these guys are trouble. <laughs> I do not feel good whatsoever. They did add a quarterback in their class of 2024, Walker White, who I think is going to be really good. Yeah. He picked them over uh, Clemson and over Baylor. So, like, I, I think that they've got their guy coming. I also just I, – I could see them looking in the second transfer window for another quarterback because I just – these guys have been here. Finley and, uh, and Ashford have been here for a while, and neither has done anything good. Like maybe the argument for Holden Gariner is that at least he hasn't failed in front of our eyes before yeah. <laughs> at Auburn. It, it's just now the thing that you do have to mention whenever you talk about this is that Hugh Freeze is going to come in and Lord knows he knows better what to do with quarterbacks than than whatever happened during the Brian Harson era at Auburn. Like he's going to find a better pathway to, to success for any of these guys. I think that Gariner is probably the most prototypical of this group of what Hugh Freeze values in quarterbacks. I could see Ashford. I, I just think that we've seen enough of TJ Finley and it's not working, but you know, everybody gets a fresh start. Like we talked about whenever a new coach comes in, but I don't think whoever starts here is going to be the future at Auburn <laughs> for very long. And and they have started spring practice already. And Hugh Freeze is always say, already saying there's no depth chart. These guys are hungry. Like the, the whole fresh start thing. Yeah. It is it is wide open, absolutely wide open, wide open with what he might do. All right. Who else did you want to talk about? I think we have to talk about Texas. Okay. Um, I don't view their particularly as being a true open battle. Uh, you know, again, I looked at that stat and I actually put out a piece on this as well at cbssports.com, uh, kind of breaking down the competition. But, you know, the idea that recruiting stars are going to come in and save Texas is just not realistic because Quinn Ewers was a higher rated recruit than Arch Manning. I think that people just have to remember that this was the, the second all time perfect recruit as a quarterback recruit joining Vince Young. So like, Quinn Ewers has got the juice. I, I don't think that that's in question. And I'm actually very excited to see what he can be in his second season. I, I've been a Quinn Ewers fan for a long time. I, I saw him play in high school. I think that he has it. 
I'm curious, uh, whenever we look back, I'm, I'm curious if his shoulder injury did affect his throwing in the second half of the season, because I think we saw some things in the first half that we didn't see in the second half. Alabama game aside, because I think that's that's kind of just something that happened. That's a scripted drive. But I do think that uh, that Quinn Ewers has the chance to still be really good. And I expect Arch Manning to redshirt. I really do. I, I don't think he's going to be somebody who plays a lot. Now, maybe he doesn't officially redshirt redshirt you know maybe they do decide to play him as a backup but Malik Murphy's there he was another top 150 player I think he could provide a backup role for them this season during a transition year and I think that this ends up being a development year for Arch Manning and and Quinn Ewers leaves for the NFL after this year and and kind of they hand off the baton perfectly so why would they say that it's an open competition then keep Cooper happy is Cooper sitting in the Caesars lounge complaining <laughs> to JB Smooth well, and they're not giving his kid a chance <laughs> I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that uh, I think a couple things. First of all, I think that Quinn Ewers, based on his performance last year, has not been guaranteed the right to be beyond reproach. Right. He struggled in the latter half of last year and he hasn't really faced a true fair open competition since he was in high school. Right. Like, you know, last year. He was their shiny new toy. Hudson Card was never going to start last year. Well, now this year, you know, obviously all the juice from boosters and all that is going to be in the Arch Manning direction. I don't think there's going to be pressure from the Manning family to 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 one thing or another. I don't think that Arch is in any way at risk of transferring. I think he's perfectly happy to come in there and, and start when he's ready. So I, I think that for Ewers, it's going to be good to have somebody really nipping at his heels and, and pushing him in competition. I don't think there's any reason to just grant him that role from the start. Uh, and also, realistically, I mean, Texas is not good enough to guarantee anybody anything at this point. And I think that that's part of the culture that they're trying to set this year by saying that every position is essentially up for grabs because there's nothing that Texas did last year that was so good, unless B. John Robinson was coming back, that they should just lock down the position and not open competition. A left tackle, too. Kelvin Banks is really freaking good. But uh, but I think that it is more just a competition element than it is a we need to figure out who's going to be our quarterback. Okay. All right, so those are the quarterback battles to watch. Spring football is upon us. It has started in some places. It is about to start in other places, maybe a week or two away for some other teams. We'll be covering it here on the College Football Survivor Show, of course, through a playoff lens. Who are the teams that are going to be making noise in March and April that we'll be talking about come November and December? I think we're going to make some early playoff picks on the other show this week. So stay tuned to the College Football Survivor Show wherever you listen to podcasts. For now... For Shahan Jeharaja, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.